From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, I'm Jeff O'Keefe, a writer living here in San Francisco in the Richmond District. I was a Jones lecturer and a Stegner fellow at Stanford, and I'm going to read a story of mine called The New Haven Line, which originally appeared in Epic magazine. It's part of a collection I'm working on. The New Haven Line. Well, they'd missed it. They'd missed the train to New Haven. Andrew was standing in the right place, beneath the departure board, more or less, and his mother was standing in the wrong place. Had he not been clear on the phone, and now they'd have to wait another hour. She was across the concourse, in front of the Dunkin' Donuts, admiring a woman's coat. He was fairly sure she hadn't been there five minutes ago. She saw him approaching and assumed a startled expression, which then went soft with resignation. Well, shit, she said. Right, he said. He mashed his molars together, knowing that he was doing it. It felt good. Behind them, the board clacked to life, announcing the status of other trains. People scurried toward numbered gates, ending up clogged together at the tops of escalators. The clacking of the board, as it continued, sounded a bit like laughter. You still want to go? she asked. Then, quickly, you do. You do want to go. I'm going, said Andrew. His father had died. The funeral was in New Haven. Of course he wanted to go. This is better, honey, she said. We didn't want to be early. You look nice all dressed up. He wore his only suit, charcoal gray, and his only necktie, black with Kelly Green stripes. She fiddled with the knot. Let's get a drink, she said. He loosened the tie as they walked the thirty yards to a chain restaurant with televisions hanging from the ceiling. It was five past one on a Saturday, and everybody in the bar area looked irritated. He ordered a draft beer for himself, and his mother ordered a vodka cranberry. The bartender, absentmindedly scratching a pockmarked cheek, studied Andrew's ID. This is my son, said Andrew's mother, leaning coquettishly into the polished wood. He's 22 years old. Her behind, straining against black wool and hovering just off the bar stool, attracted the interest of several men in the vicinity. Let's grab a booth, said Andrew, taking her abruptly by the elbow. His mother was 42 and on the full-figured side, but still inarguably beautiful and glamorous and seductive and many other things that Andrew struggled to be unimpressed by. She had once been a fashion model. What are you pushing me around for, she said as they reached the booth. You know why, he said. Maybe I'm coping, she said. Andrew turned and walked to the bar for the drinks, clenching and unclenching the fist in his right pocket. So how did you find out, she asked contritely when he returned. Miriam called me he said. He knew the name would deliver a sting. Miriam was his father's wife of 18 years. Andrew's mother had never been married, not to his father or anyone else. She scrunched up her features, and the crow's feet at the corners of her perfectly blue eyes lengthened by a half. Miriam, she said, drawing out the word. Listen, he said, if you didn't want to come, you should have said so on the phone. Oh, so independent, she said. You get that from me. She reached across the table to touch his face, and Andrew ducked away. Almost immediately, he regretted his loss of control. He had asked her to be here. She had come for his sake, not having spoken to his father since just after Andrew was born. He took a swallow of beer. Your hair is new, he said. She lifted a few brown strands from her shoulder, brightening a little. In fact, her hair wasn't that new. It had been long and straight for several years, only now it was parted cleanly down the middle. She read all the right magazines. She just wasn't in them anymore. I feel ten years younger, she said. I really do. How's work? The same, he said. He was employed as an intern for a busy editing house downtown. His job consisted of filling and refilling little ceramic bowls with M&Ms. Sometimes he covered the phones. And how about your friend there, she said, the girl. 
I think we should go wait in the lobby, Andrew said, balling up his napkin. The girl his mother met was another intern, someone he'd once hoped to ask out. Months had passed since then, too much time. They were simply co-workers now. He cursed himself for ever mentioning the girl to his mother, for allowing that breach. I've barely started my drink, she said. Well, he said, raising his eyebrows. Beneath the table, his heels wrapped spasmodically against the tile floor. He was aware of the strange thinness of his dress socks, purchased yesterday at a low-end clothing store on 14th Street. His mother sighed and looked off toward the bartender, who stood with his arms folded, watching television. She said, how does one end up a bartender in a smelly train station, wearing a vest with little paisleys on it? Be thankful you don't have to wear a vest like that. I'll be in the lobby, Andrew said, standing. He finished his beer in three long pulls as he strode to the exit and then extended his empty glass to the hostess, a girl of perhaps 19, who sat in front of an open history textbook. She regarded the glass as one might a dead mouse. That goes back to the bar, she said. I'm giving it to you, he said. When she made no move to take it, he thunked it down in front of her, directly onto a map of Spain, knowing that it would leave a wet ring on the page. He heard her mutter dick as he walked away and found that he had no real gripe with that assessment. Arriving at the departure board, he grimaced. The train wasn't due in for at least another 40 minutes. They'd get to the funeral just as it started. He'd been hoping to get there early, maybe escort his mother to the church and then escape to the New Haven Green. He'd pictured himself walking around, kicking at clumps of grass, brooding. He assumed that you had to get into the proper state of mind for your father's funeral. You couldn't just come tripping out of a cab, fumbling tip money. Andrew had grown up in the city with his mother. Until a year ago, he hadn't known his father at all, aware only that he lived somewhere in Connecticut and that, according to his mother, he wasn't worth Andrew's time. Long ago, we had a fling, she'd once explained, and the only good that came of it was you. He'd never pressed her for more, carrying with him the romantic notion that someday he would wake up, consume with purpose, and track the man down. But his father had beaten him to it. A year ago, Andrew received a letter, and after several tentative months of writing back and forth, he accepted, against his mother's wishes, an invitation to Connecticut. His father and Miriam had never had children themselves. They had a house and a yard and a shed out back filled with gardening tools. His father ran a small lobbying firm and was lean and lanky, like Andrew, and Miriam kept her graying hair in one thick braid down the middle of her back. Andrew visited them three more times. Even Miriam welcomed him like a full-grown addition to the family, like an unexpected gift. From where he stood, Andrew could see his mother inside the restaurant, staring dopily into space. He wondered, not for the first time, when her looks would fail her, when the gap between her desirability and her transparent need to be desirable would grow so large that she would become pathetic, and he felt a small but acute rush of panic. He turned away and freed himself from his suit jacket, which he then folded neatly over his arm. Feeling exposed, he put it back on. He didn't know how to stand in the suit. Other travelers sailed around him, trailing stuffed weekend bags with babies and tennis rackets slung over their shoulders. When he looked back at his mother, there was a guy in a golf shirt next to her, his arm resting on the vinyl seat back behind her head. There were two fresh drinks on the table. Andrew began walking briskly toward the nearest exit at 8th and 31st. He knew only that he wanted to be out of his mother's orbit, so that when she glanced up from the restaurant and couldn't find him, she would feel selfish and confused. As he mounted the stairs, he decided he would go get some beer for the train ride, if she wasn't beneath the departure board when he returned, he would leave without her. She was a mooch, certainly, and maybe, Andrew worried, something worse. She'd been less overt about it when he was younger, when there was modeling money around, but nowadays she didn't even have her own apartment. She'd live with a guy for six months or a year, a guy with money always, and everything would be rosy until she started talking marriage, when it would suddenly be over. She'd call Andrew with a new number, saying she was staying at a friend's. 
Of course, her friends, all of them old modeling contacts, did nothing but perpetuate the problem, setting her up with creeps, encouraging her to eat and drink and shop her way into dependency. She was living with an old photographer buddy now, a guy named Frank, in a sprawling apartment up near Columbia. Andrew had reached her there three days ago. Dad died, he had said. Just off the phone with Miriam, he had found himself dialing his mother without putting the receiver back in its cradle. The funeral is Saturday. I'm taking the one o'clock train from Penn Station. Then, when she didn't offer it herself, I wanted to know if you were coming, if you wanted to come. God, Andrew, she said, quietly. How? He told her what Miriam had told him, that his father's heart had failed as he sat alone at a red light in Milford, Connecticut. She said yes, she would come, and the flood of relief that Andrew experienced so unsettled him that he quickly hung up. Andrew located a cheerless grocery on 8th Avenue, where he bought two tall Budweiser's. He stowed one in the pocket of his jacket and opened the other right in front of the cashier. Hurry up, the cashier said, looking Andrew blankly up and down, and keep it in the bag. A short time later, he sat on a low granite wall that ran along the south side of Penn Station, little eddies of warmth working at his temples. He thought of his mother inside with her new acquaintance, wondered where the guy's hands were. I bet you don't golf, Andrew's father had offered awkwardly during his last visit, three weeks ago. They were at a rest area near Fenwick, overlooking Long Island Sound. His father was peeling splinters from a fence post and flicking them into the brush. Miriam was in the restroom. I don't, said Andrew. Then, catching his mistake, he lied. I mean, it looks really fun. It is, his father said, looking up. It's great fun. He squinted back toward the restroom, folded and refolded his arms. I was looking into this deal up in Saratoga, a three-day golf package. They have lessons for beginners. Sure, said Andrew, quickly. His father laughed, relieved. Really, he said? Yes, Andrew said, definitely. His father had booked the reservation the following day. He sent Andrew a brochure detailing the lesson schedule. Attached was a note, so you know what you're getting yourself into. Ugh, pronounced the young woman now, sitting down a few feet away. She slipped a stuffed knapsack off her back and dropped it at her sandaled feet. Ugh, she said again. Andrew turned towards her. Sorry, she said. Oh, said Andrew, no, I'm just sitting here. She was very pretty, with high cheekbones and four or five bracelets on each wrist. Her black hair issued forth from a white headband and stopped curling upwards just below her shoulders. She smiled, so Andrew did, too, and then they both faced the filth-covered signs that jutted from the buildings across the street. Cheap signs and oranges and reds, bluntly announcing locksmiths and mattress stores. "'You work around here?' she asked, finally. "'Nah, I'm waiting on a train,' he said. "'I just got off one,' she said. She toyed with the hem of her wine-colored skirt. "'Standing room only, all the way from Philly.' "'That's no fun,' said Andrew." They continued to look at each other, then broke off simultaneously with nervous laughs. Andrew wanted to keep talking to her. He made a comment about overcrowded trains, just to say something, how it was criminal to pack people in like that. She agreed enthusiastically. After a moment, she scooted delicately around on the wall to face him. She placed a hand gently on his forearm. You mind if I ask you a personal question? Andrew had the abrupt and irrational sense that she knew everything about him. She was psychic, surely, or perhaps he'd begun to emit some sort of distress signal, obvious to passers-by. Father just died. Could use a kind word. He shook his head no. What scent are you wearing? The words seemed to be lifted from an entirely separate conversation. Scent, he said. She ducked her head and laughed. I'm trying to pay you a compliment. Her hand stayed where it was. Andrew felt his heart rate speed up and noted some glandular activity getting underway in his armpits. He considered the inviting curve of her neck. 
His father was nudged to the periphery of his thoughts and for a fleeting moment left his thoughts completely, replaced by this woman's bare skin, by the jarringly real sensation of his lips traveling down between her breasts, over her belly. He stood, guiltily, checking his watch. Oh, no, you don't, she said playfully. Not yet. I have to, he said, looking around. He would ask for her number. They would get together tomorrow or the next day and have dinner and drinks and sex, all in the span of three hours. She would be a bomb for him. Not till you see what I have here, she said. She tugged her knapsack onto the wall and unzipped it, revealing ten or twelve small cardboard boxes, each with a different logo. What did you pay for that Tommy Hilfiger you got on? Thirty easy, right? Looking at the boxes, he became gradually aware of the weight of his own limbs, of his mouth hanging half open. He saw himself, in the instant before he straightened, as bovine and repulsive, no different than the men who pursued his mother. She patted the granite. Sit down, let me tell you about this. I have to go, he said. How about fifteen, she said, pulling out a box. Usually I sell only to stores. You caught me at a weak moment. He began walking to the station entrance. Hey, she said. When he reached the doors, he looked back and saw her, knapsack on, sauntering down the length of the wall. He watched her sit down next to someone else. Entering the lobby, he couldn't see his mother. He understood at once that he would go and get her, extract her from the stupid, sloppy conversations he was having. But then she materialized, thirty feet away, right where she was supposed to be. She stood staring at him sadly, her purse dangling before her. The golf shirt guy was at her side, talking and drawing circles in the air. We need to get on the train, said Andrew. The golf shirt guy appeared startled, then suspicious. You, Andrew, he said, leveling a finger. Andrew's mother stepped forward and took her son's arm, and the two began walking to the escalator for track 13. You all set, then, said the golf shirt guy in a slightly higher pitch. You're good? After a moment, when Andrew's mother didn't answer, he muttered a frustrated, Fuck. On the escalator, she gave an exaggerated shudder. Thank God you showed up when you did, she said. He was horrible. Andrew wanted to say what he felt that she brought it upon herself, that she always had, but the fact remained that she had been there beneath the departure board, waiting, and for this he was unexpectedly grateful. He simply covered her hand with his own. The train was not crowded. They sat down opposite each other by the window in the corner of the car. Someone came by and took their tickets. When the train began to move, they directed their attention outside, though there was nothing interesting to see. Dim images of underground support beams, Two workers stepping slowly in hard hats, wagging flashlights. Thank you for coming, Andrew said. Oh, she said tenderly as the train surfaced into daylight. She seemed to weigh her words. I miss you. I, I wanted to see you. For the last few years, since returning from Binghamton, where he'd completed only three semesters of college, Andrew had seen less and less of his mother. He used to come whenever she called, allowing himself to be dragged through the streets of Soho as she shopped, enduring pointless conversations with her boyfriends in trendy, brass-railed bistros. Since meeting his father, he had simply avoided her, even as her calls had become more frequent. "'You should come visit me at Frank's,' she said. "'We could all make dinner.' Andrew pictured his father dead, slumped over a steering wheel in the middle of traffic, and felt suddenly and horribly depleted, like a gutted animal. "'Don't you want to sit next to me?' his mother asked. When he didn't answer, she rose and took the seat adjacent to his. She began to lean into him, then stopped and poked at the lump in his jacket. She pulled back his lapel and saw the beer. Oh, perfect, she said. Let's have it now. We'll drink to your father. Why not, he said, letting her take it. She opened it and took a wary sip, as if unaccustomed to drinking anything out of a can. She liked it, though, and took another. Maybe you should say something first, said Andrew, about him. 
She brought a hand to her mouth and cleared her throat apologetically, like a child caught eating before grace. Two businessmen moved by slowly in the aisle, bearing cafe car lunches, and stared openly at Andrew and his mother, the way people do on trains. She waited until they had passed. He gave me you, she said. He gave me you, and I don't know what I'd do without you. She took another sip and handed Andrew the beer. He turned the can around a few times in his hand, then took a long swallow. He sensed his mother waiting expectantly for him to speak, and as her expectation dissolved, took some satisfaction in disappointing her. Andrew, she said, after a minute, you remember Frank, right? From when you were younger? She leaned gently into him now, so that they were touching from shoulder to elbow. He stared outside at what seemed like an endless succession of potholed side streets and crummy, packed dirt backyards. Well, she said, this is exciting, so I need you to look at me. He did. Frank is relocating to Paris. He already owns a place there, but he'll be working exclusively out of Paris now, and he's offered me his New York apartment, for as long as I want it. She bit her lip and shook a fist in quiet celebration. Andrew used to see this place, the view up the Hudson, Riverside Park. It's like Paris, really, like those tree-lined boulevards in Paris. That's why Frank bought the apartment. Andrew turned away and finished the beer. It was tepid now, and he found himself sickened. He wondered if he had invited his mother along for precisely this reason, because he knew she would act the wrong way and say all the wrong things. You should come live with me, she said. It'd be fun. He laughed. Don't laugh, she said. Please don't laugh. I have somewhere to live, he said. He'd lived in the same place since returning from college, a deteriorating studio apartment in Sunnyside, Queens, hemmed in by Polish dance halls and delis. There's enough space for you to have privacy, she said. You could have people over. You could go to work during the day, and I could finally get back to my book. For a long time now, she'd been ostensibly writing a book about at-home facials, an asinine idea no doubt nurtured and kept alive by some particularly heartless members of her social circle. She took Andrew's free hand with two of her own. I'm not happy, Andrew. She pressed her thumbs lightly into his palm, and then, slowly, brought a forefinger to rest on the underside of her wrist. She was listening to his heart. Andrew took it all in, the boldness of her touch, the wetness entering those camera-ready blue eyes, and thought, so this is what you do. This is how you go about it, time after time. No, he said. He heard the word in the same instant she did, as if someone else had spoken it. It hung there, this foreign object, and then severed the space between them like a knife. Her eyes widened almost imperceptibly. She regarded him for another moment or two, then dropped his hand and began composing herself. In these small acts, the smoothing of a dress front, the straightening of a neckline, there was a finality Andrew hadn't anticipated. He watched her start off down the aisle, wondering if she had walked away from his father in the same manner, and if his father had felt the same mounting apprehension. It didn't work out, his father had said, when Andrew had pried. Some things just don't work out. He waited for her. Several times he thought he heard her approaching, but it was always someone else. He managed to sleep for a while, though the sleep was fitful and his head had begun to ache from the beer. When he woke the final time, the train had arrived in New Haven. Rousing himself, he strode the length of three cars, checking each seat. Passengers bound for Providence and Boston napped amid newsprint or sat mumbling into cell phones. There was a departure announcement. Andrew rushed through another car, scanning faces, those both inside the train and outside it, before jumping out onto the platform. The doors closed behind him, and the train shuddered forward. As the last car passed, he saw her, seated opposite the two businessmen from earlier, all three of them rocking gently forward, laughing at something. His mother, as she settled back into her seat, 
turned toward the window and looked in his direction. For a moment, before her face drained and her eyes closed, he thought she could see him. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.